0: Welcome back to another edition of On the Record, the Daily Iowans' weekly news podcast where we break down the paper's top headlines from the week. I'm your host and co-producer Eleanor Hildebrandt, and I'm here with our co-producer Haley Marks. On today's episode, we have three special guests. We will be chatting with Daily Iowan politics reporters Brian Grace and Lauren White. We will also check in with Josie Fischels, one of the DI's arts editors, who wrote a story this week about Marvin Bell, a poet and 40-year Iowa Writers Workshop professor who passed away in December of 2020. Whether you're in the car, at home, or in the classroom, we'd like to welcome you to this
1: Friday, February 12th edition of On the Record. I'm Haley Marks, On the Record's co-producer, and here are this week's headlines. On Wednesday, the Daily Iron reported new cases of COVID-19 on the University of Iowa's campus. As of February 10th, 15 additional students and two employees self-reported cases of COVID-19 since Monday, February 8th. As of Wednesday, there have been 3,390 positive coronavirus cases since students returned to campus for this fall semester in August. In Monday's print edition, the DEI published a story about lecture classes of more than 150 people remaining online while other classes will move to in-person learning in the fall 2021 semester. The University of Iowa plans to offer offer distance learning classes in person for most classes with less than 150 people. The Iowa City Public Library is celebrating 125 years of serving the community by sharing its historical progress and allowing people to share library memories in a digital space. The library's historical. History includes presidential visits, archives, document books from the 19th century onward, and four locations. Iowa City's Larkin Owl Cafe is on the market for $1. Due to COVID causing immense financial and staffing difficulties for the owner, the one karaoke spot in the city is looking for a new owner. Both the Iowa City Police Department and the Johnson County Sexual Assault Response Team have seen a significant drop in sexual assault reports since the start of the pandemic. While reports have decreased, however, experts say that. The effects of COVID-19 may prevent victims from seeking treatment. On Tuesday, the DEI reported on the UI's dance team getting back to work to prepare for the Universal Dance Association College Nationals in Florida following months of virtual practices. The UI canceled in-person summer youth programs this week. In a campus-wide email, the university said it will continue to offer programs to individuals who are 18 and older with in-person options. Also, University of Iowa employees who received a coronavirus vaccine and experienced side-effects will prevent them from being able to work may utilize Board of Regents' sick leave.
0: The University of Iowa's Campaign to Organize Graduate Students and the State Board of Regents shared their initial contract proposals on Tuesday, formally beginning the collective bargaining process. COGS asked for a 5% raise per year in their proposal during the virtual meeting. The Regents countered with a 1% raise offer. The proposals stand as a point to begin bargaining conversations that will take place in closed meetings in coming weeks. Iowa City community members are expressing concern for their health and safety after Governor Kim Reynolds relaxed COVID-19 restrictions statewide. On February 5th, Reynolds introduced a new Public Health Disaster Proclamation that lifted COVID-19 protocols, following a steady decrease in state cases. Bars, restaurants, and other businesses are now no longer required to enforce social distancing and face coverings. In Wednesday's print edition, the Daily Iowans Ethics and Politics Initiative published a story on how the 29 executive orders that President Joe Biden has signed will impact Iowans. Biden's orders on prolonging the existing freeze on student loan payments, climate and agriculture, and diversity, equity, and inclusion education will all impact the state in various ways. In a press conference this week, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds announced a partnership between Microsoft and the Iowa Department of Public Health to develop a centralized scheduling system for vaccinations in Iowa. Reynolds says the centralized system will be a place where Iowans can register to be vaccinated and then be referred to a provider when they are eligible and a vaccine is available. She hopes to also add a call center to the operation. The Iowa College Student Aid Commission reported a future college enrollment gap for Iowa's universities to Iowa lawmakers at an education appropriation subcommittee meeting on Wednesday morning. Iowa College Aid said fewer students are applying to college, which will lead to a decline in enrollment. The state of Iowa agreed on Monday to pay a University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics patient a $350,000 settlement because of alleged negligence from a hip surgery in 2016, followed by a lawsuit filed in 2018. And on Thursday, the DI reported on an $8 million grant from Leona M. and Harry B. Helmsley Charitable Trust that will allow the University of Iowa's College of Nursing to partner with rural hospitals in Iowa to provide simulation-based education and improve patient outcomes across the state. You can read all these stories and more in the Daily Iowan's print editions on Mondays and Wednesdays or online anytime at dailyiowan.com. Politics reporter Brian Grace wrote a story this week about the University of Iowa's College of Dentistry planning to alter its approach to student speech following a mass email thread where students, faculty, and staff members questioned the university's response to an executive order from former President Donald Trump. Welcome, Brian. We're excited to have you back on the podcast. How's your week been?
2: It's been good. Thanks for having me.
0: Good. And in your story, you wrote about the College of Dentistry altering its mass email practices after being reprimanded by state legislators how does the college intend to change its policies and why did they decide to go about it in this way?
2: Yeah, so the Iowa State House of Representatives held a government oversight committee hearing last week where they had a few representatives from some of Iowa's public universities come in. And the representative for the University of Iowa was the College of Dentistry Dean. And basically the Dean promised to, well, first he acknowledged that the college made a mistake by um, reprimanding the student in some way after He um, commented on the mass email that was sent out about Trump's executive order. But then the dean also promised to keep any political opinions out of um, future mass emails to students and then also promised to review um, policies on how they reprimand students for that kind of behavior. And they're set to meet with the House Oversight Committee again um, next month.
0: Yeah, and you spoke with a few of these lawmakers about the email thread and its impact on University of Iowa students, faculty, and staff members' First Amendment rights. What did they have to say about the college's handling of this mass email thread?
2: Basically, the legislators I spoke to said that this was just a compromise of First Amendment rights, um, specifically in this case on a conservative student, but They expressed concern about this, um, you know, really happening to anyone of any political leaning in the future.
0: And obviously this all took place in an academic space at the University of Iowa and it impacted students, as you mentioned. How do First Amendment rights look different when it comes to public universities rather than other places or discussions?
2: Yeah, so the federal government holds the First Amendment in pretty high regard, so for any federal agencies or institutions that receive federal grant money, um, the First Amendment is pretty highly scrutinized. So the University of Iowa being one of those public institutions that receives grant money um, has an obligation to the federal government to really make sure that the First Amendment isn't being violated on their campus. And this happens to private universities Um, to a lesser regard because they don't necessarily need to uh, make sure that that First Amendment is being protected nearly as much. But some of the professors that I spoke to at the University of Iowa say that private universities still try to aim for protecting that speech because it is essential to um, a conducive learning environment.
0: Yeah. And has anything similar to the situation or have any similar changes been made regarding the First Amendment at any other private or regents institutions in the state of Iowa?
2: Yeah. So alongside the University of Iowa, uh, there were also representatives at the hearing from Iowa State and the University of Northern Iowa. And I think it was last year when Iowa State had a professor um, tell students that for their assignment, they couldn't um, write about anything that questioned the um, the humanhood of other people. So really, nothing about about race or questioning anything in that um, on that kind of level. But that um, the Iowa State president was much quicker to condemn that and reprimand the professor in that sense. So I think legislators were a little bit more favorable toward her than the University of Iowa, who really didn't do much until it came to actually meeting with legislators at the hearing.
0: Well, thank you for being on the podcast today, Brian, and sharing your story with us. Hopefully we can have you back sometime this semester.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Next up, we have Lauren White, a DI politics reporter. You wrote a story on Wednesday about the 2022 midterm elections where Iowans will vote on whether Iowa should amend its constitution to include new language that would strengthen its Second Amendment. Welcome to the studio, Lauren. We're delighted to have you back on today. How's your semester going so far?
3: Hi, guys. Um, it's going, I guess it's going fine. Still being online kind of sucks, but I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah. And so in this next midterm election, there will be a constitutional amendment on the ballot that plans to alter Iowa's state constitution. What is this amendment and how will it change the Iowa constitution? Yeah,
3: so essentially it is a amendment that would add new language to strengthen Iowa's gun laws and gun rights, I guess. Because it'll add strict scrutiny, which basically means that if any future laws come up that try to, I guess, increase gun control or just take away gun rights from certain Iowans, courts can use that strict scrutiny as a really harsh legal standing to say that these laws aren't constitutional.
0: And obviously amendments to a state's constitution is not necessarily a commonplace in Iowa or in the United States as a whole. How long have lawmakers been working to get this amendment on the ballot and what has that looked like?
3: Yeah, proponents of this amendment have been working on it for a while now. Like it's kind of been on their radar for like about 10 years. It's kind of when they first started pushing it because there's three states that have actually done this already, and it's Missouri, Louisiana, and Alabama. And so Iowa decided to kind of follow their lead and start pushing this amendment. So proponents of it have been working on it for a while, and it passed in the House and Senate the first time three years ago. And then it passed again last year, and usually that's all it takes. But with there was like some oversight at the Secretary, Secretary of State's office that caused it to not be put on the ballot like it was originally supposed to. So they had to kind of pass in the House and State one more time, the House and the Senate one more time to get it on this ballot. So it's been a good 10 years, three of really like getting it pushed and passed. And then it'll be another two years until Iowans can actually vote on
1: it.
0: Yeah, and have there been any other changes to Iowa's gun laws in recent years alongside these attempts for the past decade to alter the state's constitution?
3: I mean, the thing about gun laws in Iowa is that it's, it is a pretty divided issue. So when there's certain legislation that's being pushed, usually the other side will, like, get get it, like, denied. So there's been a lot of um, gun control legislation that's been attempted to pass and it usually doesn't make it through the Republican majority. And there's also been this kind of pushback and trying to get more rights for guns as well. So not anything super major has actually passed just because this is an issue that gets a lot of pushback on both sides.
0: Yeah, and as you mentioned, gun laws are pretty party line issues and so how do representatives and senators at the state level feel about this amendment and it going on ballots in 2022?
3: Yeah, I mean, the pro-gun, pro-Second um, Amendment legislators, they're, they feel as though this amendment is necessary because um, to them and to other Iowans who like, agree with them, the Second Amendment is considered a fundamental right and they want that to be really clear in the constitution. And that's kind of what this amendment really does is solidifies it as a fundamental right. And so obviously there's um, opponents to the amendment who don't agree that the second amendment should be raised to such a high standard. And so there's some that believe having this standard in our constitution will increase kind of gun violence and the amount of people who shouldn't be owning guns, getting guns. So it's, it's hard to say exactly like what'll come out of it just because it's not so much passing new legislation, it's just kind of solidifying kind of where we're at right now, just to not pass any more um, like restrictive gun control laws or anything.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for coming on the podcast this week, Lauren. We can't wait to read more of your stories in the coming weeks in the DI. Yeah, thanks, guys. Finally, Josie Fischels, one of the DI's arts editors, wrote a story on Monday showcasing the life of Marvin Bell, a poet and a 40-year Iowa Writers Workshop professor who died in December 2020 at the age of 83. Welcome back, Josie. How's everything going?
4: Pretty good. It's been a chilly few days, but I'm all right.
0: Yes, lots of snow for us in Iowa City. And so you wrote a showcase story about Marvin Bell and his legacy in Iowa City and at the Writing University. Can you tell us a little bit about Bell and how he ended up here at the University of Iowa?
4: Yeah, Marvin Bell, I've never met him. I've read his poetry, um, and obviously I've met so many people who who knew him much more deeply, um, but I feel like I do know him now through like the the stories that I've been shared with and the memories um, that have all been so overwhelmingly positive. Uh, so yeah, Marvin Bell was a prolific poet, a very famous one in 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 the in the world of poetry. Um, he was Iowa's very first poet laureate um, in 2000 and served for two terms. So he is definitely someone that you would want to get to know. Um, He came to the, came to Iowa City the same way, and the University of Iowa, the same way a lot of writers do. It's because of the Iowa Writers Workshop, um, which he attended and graduated from in 63. Prior to that, he'd received his bachelor's degree from Alfred University and his master's at the University of Chicago, uh, which is actually where he met his wife, um, Dorothy Bell, who I got the, the immense pleasure of speaking to. Afterwards, he returned, uh, I believe he, he served a few years in the army as a ham radio operator, amateur radio operator, um, and we returned and yeah, started that 40-year tenure at uh, the University of Iowa, Iowa's Writers Workshop.
0: Yeah, he stayed awfully busy. And so Bell obviously had this very long tenure at the Iowa Writers Workshop, 40 years, and that impacted several people who participated in the program and just kind of came to the University of Iowa. Why was his work so important to the University of Iowa and to Iowa City's larger literary community?
4: Yeah, um, I think as far as poetry goes, he was a huge name um, in the Iowa City, UNESCO City of Literature, um, and such a contributor to the community as well. Through my conversations, was more so who Marvin was um, even more than than his work, which already had such a breadth, um, not just in Iowa City, but across the nation. It appears in college syllabi everywhere in the country and, and even overseas. So Marvin, as a professor, really cared about his students. And I, I know you can say that about so many professors, but um, the stories I was told was were so profoundly wonderful about him. Um, For one um, former U.S. Poet Laureate uh, Juan Felipe Herrera uh, at one point was one of Marvin's students and was very down on his luck one day um, and had decided to pawn his guitar, his beloved guitar like Juan never goes anywhere without his guitar it's a very big part of who he is Um, and he pawned it and Marvin took upon himself to go buy it and return it to Juan so that's just Part of like who he was, he was just such a, he was described to me as a rescuer in that way, um, in in the involvement he had in his students' lives, um, not just through their writing, but he was kind of a father figure in that way. Also, I was talking to one of his very good friends, uh, Christopher Merrill, who runs the international writing program here in Iowa City, um, and he told me a story about how every assignment Marvin gave his students, he would do it himself as well. Um, which I just thought was a testament to how much he cared. Um, I wish I could have met him. He's just, he's, he seems so brilliant um, and so well-spoken and, and so interested in you. Um, his son said that Marvin contributed to people he never took from them. Um, he only existed to to build them up. So I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the same room.
0: Yeah, he sounds like a very brilliant and fascinating person especially because Bell continued writing really late into his life, as you mentioned, with doing the same assignments that he would give his students, he did himself. But what did he accomplish in the last few years before his passing? Did he publish any work?
4: After the cancer diagnosis, I was told that his writing kind of wound down a bit. He did publish a final collection of poetry. His his Dead Man poetry was, is one of his most famous, um, this character of the dead man that is not quite defined as who it is, but is a recurring character in much of his poetry. Um, so he finally made a collection of that called Incarnate, um, the collected dead man poems, I believe I'm saying that correctly. Um, and that was published in 2019. Uh, the DI actually sat down with Marvin Bell and talked about that collection, uh, if I may promote one of my former reporter's work uh and of course just that was our final conversation with marvin bell before his passing um i can't imagine what it was like i I remember my reporter if i could say a little anecdote here my reporter came back to me after having that conversation with bell um so long ago i'm just remembering this now he came back to me he's like josie i just had the most amazing interview i don't know how i'm going to get this all down into one piece and i was like oh wow that's awesome uh how, like, what were the details? He's like, it was two hours long. <laughs> and that's that's just such a testament to who Marvin was. He talk to you. He It wasn't just an interview, it was a conversation, which I just thought was incredible um, to hear about. So I, I just remembered that. That entire collection, I believe, was written at the dining room table at his home in Iowa City. Uh, Marvin wrote in all sorts of different places within the house, um, including up in his study, um, or out in this little annex to the house. They call it the little house um, that's outside. And he he usually would not Right in there when his sons were still at home and younger because they'd invite friends and they'd be quite loud (laughs) within the house but in those last five years he in those last five years uh he would write at the dining room table at his macbook
0: yeah and as you mentioned in a few answers you spoke with a few of the people who knew bell in a multitude of different ways what did they have to say about their relationships with the poet and what do they plan to remember about him for years
4: to come yeah, I I don't even know how to summarize all these amazing conversations I had. Um, if you see the the design that our fantastic designer Kate Doolittle made of the front page, um, in the in the background of her design are are words that I asked each person I spoke to to kind of describe who who Marvin was as a person and I wanted to kind of culminate those into one single design so all of those beautiful things that people said about him could come out so and they of course were all wonderful so his his one of his sons described him as a mensch which is a like the epitome of of what you can be as a as a Jew he was a Jewish man um, raised by Jewish parents I mean he was one of He was a mensch, he was a father, a father figure, a mentor, a a rescuer, as I mentioned. It was incredible to hear how other people would describe him and how their descriptions would vary. I asked uh, the family how they would describe how he even looked. um, And Dorothy's answer made me laugh. Uh, She said he looked like Santa Claus. Um, (laughs) And I tend tend to agree with her in a bit. I mean, he he did have the white beard, uh, he had a very round button nose and a twinkle in his eye is what Dorothy described as him um him to me so and and their relationships were they were all varied but they were all so interwoven I don't think Marvin ever met a person at least for what how he was described to me and he never met them and and left without knowing their name or in something about them during his book signings his uh his publisher said that they would be super long because he'd take the time to to talk to that person long enough to get to know them um would write in his book something some very long paragraph and then he'd stamp it with his little dead man skeleton (laughs) uh rubber stamp um and and that was really wonderful to hear
0: yeah well he definitely sounds like a man who should be remembered but thank you so much for chatting with us today, Josie. We look forward to having you back sometime soon to chat more about the art section. Thank you so much. In other news, the Iowa Newspaper Association hosted the Better Newspaper Contest on Thursday afternoon. The Daily Iowan was named as the Iowa Newspaper Association's 2021 newspaper of the year, making it the second consecutive year the DI has received the award. The Daily Iowan placed in 50 categories, including 24 first place awards, including General Excellence, Best Website, and Best Podcast. The Iowa Newspaper Association hosts the Better Newspaper contest annually, and the Daily Iowan competes with professional publications in the area and across the state. Thanks for listening. Follow the Daily Iowan on social media and check our website for breaking news updates and the latest COVID-19 related news. We'll be back next week with another edition of On the Record.